Nice to be with you uh, this morning. We are finishing up a series, Meals with Jesus. You've been here for some of this? I, I've really enjoyed this series. I appreciate the concept of uh, talking about developing community, which is one of our core values here at SunWest. Today we'll be talking on the topic, part four, we'll be talking, talking about meals as enacted grace. Good? This is where we are. Good. Uh, the source for a lot of this series has been a book, A Meal with Jesus by Tim Chester. I don't know if any of you have been tracking along with us uh, in that book, but that's available on Amazon or your favorite uh, source for books. My wife and I have been married 29 years this May. We'd gone out once, once, on a date, and I knew that she was the girl for me. I remember coming home from that date and uh, going into my bedroom and saw my dad, and I called my dad in. And I said, Dad, this is it. This is the one. And I was that convinced after our first date and then even more convinced after the second date and even more convinced after the third date. But then, as if I wasn't convinced enough, my wife made a peach cobbler. <laughs> There's something magical about that moment. You'll see it here on the next slide. When, when I had that peach cobbler with a little bit of vanilla ice cream... That was like the mother of all confirmations. <laughs> I knew then at that point it was love, eternal, God-given <laughs> love. There's something about uh, just the magic of food and eating together. This, this next photo here is a picture of uh, my family celebrating a Christmas meal when I was 15 years of age. I'm the guy sitting at the far end of the table. There's a lot of neck going on that kid right there. Is it any wonder they called me giraffe boy? <clears throat> they didn't really. But food synchronizes families. I, I, I don't remember ever having a family meeting, but I do remember every Sunday was a sacred time in our house because, we'd, yeah, we'd do church every Sunday morning, of course, you know. But then Sunday lunch, uh, if we sat down 12.15 or 12.30, it was not uncommon at 4, 4.30, 5 o'clock to finally get around to clearing the dishes after hours of just laughing and joking. And even this picture that you just saw here, I, I don't remember what we ate. I suspect uh, seeing on my cousin's plate a huge turkey bone there, I... I suspect it was a turkey dinner. I don't remember specifically what we ate, but I do remember laughing together and the stories that we told and just how food brings us and synchronizes us. And then there's the dark side of hospitality, the people we don't invite. Um, you'll see here on the slide this sign taken from World War II, Juden verboten, Jews forbidden, uh, Germany over or above all. Uh, 
forbidding the Jews in the Second World War, ostracizing them, even exterminating them, probably close to six million of them. Food not only has this ability to bring us together, but it, when we don't include people, it, it has this profound ability. Maybe you've been in a situation like this where there's a bunch of people talking and, where are you going? What are you doing? No? And just this sense of not belonging when you're not invited along. And then you'll see one more here on the next slide of... Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, President Donald Trump is, uh, he's in the, in the process of trying to outlaw shredded cheese in America. I don't know if you saw this, or they don't even want it imported anymore. True story. <clears throat> it's part of his uh, campaign promise or, or assertion that uh, he wants to make America great again. bit of setup there. Took a while. Just trying a little bit of food humor, you know, going with the whole. Yeah, don't quote me on that. Let me share a, let me share scripture with you. This is really what I want to focus on this morning. These words from Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 27. It says, later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi Anybody know his other more commonly known name? Not Strauss, no. Matthew. Thank you, Chris. Sitting at his tax collector's booth, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said. So Levi got up, left everything, followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Imagine this. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, you know what, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent. Let's just say a quick prayer here. Father, as we look at these scriptures today, 2,000-year-old words, would you illuminate them to our hearts to see the incredible truths that can impact our lives profoundly today? We say thanks. In the name of Jesus, amen. Isn't this an odd little story we just read? Pharisees freaking out on Jesus. The word uses this phrase, complained bitterly to his disciples. How could Jesus do this? How could he be hanging out with Tax collectors, I'm sure you've heard this before, but tax collectors in the first century were considered highly unscrupulous people. They were sketchy, dodgy. They would 
sure, charge normal tax rates, but then just kind of on a whim, they would pilfer from people, just on the spot, double their tax rates, and just taking money whenever they wanted, and they had the authority of Rome to back them. So they were basically scoundrels. They were considered by everyone in first century society to be the scum of the earth. Jesus calls one of these guys, Levi, also named Matthew, to follow him, and Levi's response is to throw a big party have a banquet where Jesus is the guest of honor. And what is so alarming because of first century culture is that Jesus says yes. Jesus goes to this banquet. A couple quotes here. Uh, The first one's from a New Testament scholar by the name of Scott Barchi. He said, meals in the first century had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. So for Jesus to accept an invitation from Matthew was to say that they were friends, that they were close friends, that they were together. Anthropologist Mary Douglas in a fairly notable paper called Deciphering a Meal says that universally in every culture, meals represent boundary markers. Boundary markers. So Jesus here by having a meal with not just one, but many tax collectors, is crossing a fairly significant first century boundary. It was offensive, what he was doing. See, in the first century, these boundary markers that were established weren't just the law, the Torah, but the Pharisees had gone a step further. The Pharisees had set out all these extra-biblical dietary restrictions and laws that were off the charts. It created very much a us-versus-them kind of culture. Jesus refers to the meal, or the scripture refers to the meal, as Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and others, but the Pharisees said that Jesus was dining with tax collectors and sinners, or in the translation that we read, scum. The Pharisees, this first century group of zealous believers who are followers of the Jewish faith, the Pharisees were separatists. Actually, that's what the New Testament word Pharisee means, separatist. Someone who wants to be set apart, somebody who wants to be isolated or a perfectionist. That's my first point is being separate. Again, I I have no problem with good, healthy dietary laws and restrictions. Uh, There were things that were laid down in Scripture that were literally thousands of years ahead of their time when it came to stopping the spread of disease and infection through dietary and cleanliness-type issues. But the Pharisees, for them, it wasn't about that. There was something that was fear-based, as if to say, if, if you're eating that food, if, if you're involved in this situation, if you're hanging out with these kind of people, the bad stuff that's on them is going to infect you. But Jesus, by accepting this invitation for supper from Matthew, from Levi, is moving away from a posture of judgment. 
rather than judging people, he's fearlessly saying, I'm okay with this. I'm okay hanging around with tax collectors. Hmm. That's uh, quite a radical thing for Jesus to do, to move away from fear and separatist mentality that religion was really waving that flag in the first century. And Jesus said, no, it's not about being separate. It's about, I want to be with these guys. I like this Matthew. I want to hang around with him. Just a quick illustration. Let me look at another five verses here from Luke 11. Uh, And verse 37 says, as Jesus was speaking... One of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in, took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the ceremonial hand washing required by the Jewish custom. The Lord said to him, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but on the inside you're filthy. You're full of greed and wickedness. Fools. Didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor, and you'll be clean all over. Jesus is calling them away from this superficial exterior activity that's based in dietary laws that are based in fear and judgment and separatist mentality, isolationist mentality. And he says, you know what? It needs to start on the inside out. You need to be clean on the inside. And he challenges them the way that Mother Teresa challenged us to a lifestyle of actually doing things to help others and love others, to reach out to others, rather than this fearful religion, this isolationist, this separatist mentality of us and them. See, Mother Teresa was a leper hugger. Mother Teresa was one who wasn't afraid of infection. Another quick little story from Luke 5, just to illustrate, where normally if you touched a leper, that would make you unclean, but Jesus' thinking was that his touch would change the atmosphere and change the environment. See, the the bad side of religion is Let's build a little ivory tower, protect ourselves, everything's cool. Jesus' thinking is, no, I'm going to come out of my ivory tower. I'm going to come down from the glories of heaven. I'm going to be born in a cow's feeding trough so I can love people and reach people. I think we have this fearful, anemic understanding of the blood of Jesus that we need to protect But the thinking of Jesus is not, oh no, the leprosy is going to get me. It's I'm coming out and I'm going to attack the leprosy with love and kindness and healing and with just, just everything to make my world a better place. That's the very opposite of the Pharisee, isolationist, separatist mentality. And when Jesus said yes to Matthew, he's saying, I'm not worried that you're going to corrupt me. I'm going to corrupt you with love, with hope, with kindness, with faith, with encouragement. 
I'm changing the atmosphere. And of the increase of his government, there's going to be no end. Guess what? This is extended onto us today. He hasn't called us into Phariseeism. He hasn't called us into an isolationist way of thinking where it's us few and, and that's it. We're going to close the door, keep the bad people out, keep the bad movies off the screen and in the hallway, and we'll have our holy little huddle in here. No, it's that his kingdom in us is forever expanding. His healing has touched our hearts and changed us and made us new. And we don't have to worry about the leprosy or the cancer or the disease or the problems getting to us. We're just going to make our world a better place. I think that's good preaching. <laughs> that's what I want you to see thirdly, is this whole message is offensive. This quote from Tim Chester, he says, God's grace is radically subversive. Grace turns the world of religious people upside down. It, it is. It's truly a scandalous message. Imagine in the first century, Jesus coming onto the scene, not washing his hands at a Pharisee's house, hanging out with Matthew, Levi, and a bunch of other tax collectors. Like, like the people in the first century would just be like, you can't do this. That's wrong. Pretty sure you're going to hell. But Jesus is offensive with breaking these traditional boundary markers, again, this we got to understand is he's keeping the law, the Torah, that, that part's all cool. The stuff found in the first five books of the Bible, Jesus is down with that. It's all the extra religious stuff that the Pharisees were heaping on top of that, saying, well, if you really want to be different, if you really want to be pure and religious, here's what you need to do. Jesus throws all those laws out the window. And he starts reaching into the world of the tax collector and the Pharisee and the prostitutes and the people that don't generally fit in church. Jesus says, I'm all about those people. Wow. It is. It's a scandalous message. Lastly, I want to touch on, real quick, four stories of grace. First of all, in Luke 15, there's, there's three stories. Uh, first one is the story of the lost sheep. Remember this one? 99 sheep, Jesus leaves them to go after the one and finds, the good shepherd finds that sheep. The second story is the story of the lost coin. Remember the, the widow, she doesn't have a lot, but she's got this one valuable coin. She loses it, sweeps the whole house, turns it upside down, finds the coin. The third story, story of the lost son or the prodigal son, demands his share of the inheritance. Remember this one? His father gives him some money. The son goes and blows it all. And when the son is destitute, hanging out with the pigs, eating from the pig trough, he thinks, wow, as he comes to his senses, my father's servants eat better than this. I'm going home. He goes home. There's his dad out waiting at the end of the laneway, waiting for him, throws a robe on his back, a ring on his finger, and they have a big party. Actually, that's the recurring theme in all three stories. Something's lost, it gets found, 
and then there's a big party. There's a feast in all three stories. It's a recurring theme in Luke's gospel, which I've nicknamed the gospel of food. It's just a perpetual party. It reminds me of uh, the book Campolo, Tony Campolo, Dr. Tony Campolo wrote in the late 80s called The Kingdom of God is a Party. And there's something offensive about that, but this, this is the truth. This is the story. This is the good news, is there's a party and everybody's invited. That is the very nature of the kingdom of God. And when Jesus sends his disciples, he, he shares with them the story of a banquet and people are compelled to come to it. Hmm. One more story. It's the story, I'll see here on the last slide, of uh, my mom. Uh, mom, when my mom was alive, she cooked the most amazing roast beef in Yorkshire pudding. And she did a great turkey dinner for all the, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving. Mom also did great ham and scalp potatoes. But mom's signature meal were her sweet and sour pork chops. We kept guest books in every house we ever lived in. And my mom, you know, close to 40 years in pastoral ministry, every time we had guests, guests over to the house, uh, she'd have them fill in the guest book before they would leave and they would write their comments. And I remember after my mom passed away a couple of years ago, just leafing through the guest books, and seeing how many comments there were about my mom's sweet and sour pork chops. She made them for famous people we had in our home and different government people and dignitaries and important people, but she, she was not discriminating in who she welcomed into our home. I remember when I was a young boy, I was probably in about grade seven. We just moved to a new town. My dad had started in a, a new church. And on a Sunday, I remember my mom inviting a family over for supper and figuring it out on the calendar, and they were able to come. I think it was a Tuesday night. And I was like, Mom, what are you thinking? It's like a mom and dad and eight kids? It's like 10 of them and five of us? Are you nuts? Mom just didn't care. Mom's like, no, we're having these people over. It's going to be awesome. So I'm thinking 15 people. That's definitely a pasta night. Like you're not going to blow the whole month's budget on some huge meal. But my mom made her sweet and sour pork chops. I remember that platter was close to 75 feet across. It was huge platter of sweet and sour, it might be a slight exaggeration, huge platter of her sweet and sour pork chops. And these pork chops were of the Lord. There was just something so special about them. And this family that mom was inviting over, the, the mom was a nice enough lady. The dad was a bit abusive and... Uh, He'd struggled with alcohol his whole life. It was a welfare family. 
And I thought, wow, mom's breaking out the sweet and sour pork chops. Who knew? And as the meal progressed, I remember some of the conversation was around the younger kids. Hey, they have some musical talent, just like the older teenage kids. Maybe those kids would be interested in maybe joining the junior choir or getting involved with the Sunday night orchestra or maybe taking some music lessons. I remember mom just reaching out to that family. You know what? All the stuff my dad preached on Sundays was great, but something very special happened over sweet and sour pork chops with that family. And it didn't all happen that night, but, but a door swung open and that family got even more involved, more committed, Those kids, I watched them over the coming weeks and months. Many of those kids got really involved in our Sunday school and youth program and sports stuff involved with the church. And one of their sons became one of my best friends in high school. I remember him committing his life to Jesus. I remember that whole family responding to God and it it was tied into pork chops. See, this is the good news of Jesus. It's a table where everyone is welcome. It's this beautiful extension of his enacted grace. Whoever wants to can come. Again, the religious message is, if I just clean my life up first, then I can come to God. But the message of God is, look, The table's open. I'm providing for you. I'm actually providing my very best. No pasta, no mac and cheese. We're having the sweet and sour pork chops, but the kosher ones, of course. What a beautiful message that Jesus sends through the open table. The table today is open. It's been open for 2,000 years when the Apostle Paul declared, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, he took the cup and he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this, my body, it's broken for you. Take, eat. Take it and drink it. This beautiful expression, whosoever will can come. It's not about fear. It's not about separating. It's that his kingdom is in us and making a radical difference in loving our world. I'm very thankful for that. The worship team is going to come and then I'm going to come back in a couple minutes and I'd like to just pray with you and bless you before we go. Thanks. Church, I just want to encourage you this morning. I know there, there might be a few folks, a very small number, that hear a message like this and just take a bit of offense thinking, well, I'm that guy that never gets invited and I, I feel kind of left over, or passed over, or forgotten. I just want to say to you, if if that's how you feel, I'm very sorry. Our small groups are doing so well at being invitational and 
keeping an empty chair and inviting other folks. And if you've never been invited to a small group, we'd like to help you with that. You can always call the church office and we'd love to help you get connected. Of course, next Sunday, there's all kinds of hosts. We need people to sign up. And if you've never connected with other SunWest people, next Sunday's your chance. Wide open invitation. All you have to do is fill out your contact info. You know, it's kind of like throwing the dice. You don't know where you're going to end up. You don't know what kind of food you're going to be eating. That's why we pray before we eat. So I just want to encourage you to throw your hat in the ring and, and get involved with community. Because this, this is it, right? This is the beautiful journey that we're on. Again, God doesn't say, get your stuff together, get cleaned up, and then come to me. It's the opposite. It's just come. That's the universal call. Whosoever will can come. And I want to invite you into that journey. And if you've not journeyed in faith before, maybe even today before you'd go, you'd just whisper a prayer inviting God to lead your life through his son, Jesus Christ. It's not about joining a church or joining a small group or signing up to some religious commitment. It's about being in right relationship with God. And I want to encourage you today, if you've never done that before, before you leave this place, talk to one of the pastors. We also have prayer team over here on my right. They'd be delighted to pray with you, talk with you, no matter what you need prayer for. I'd like to encourage you, every single person in this room, to be part of the contagion that is the kingdom message, the good news of Jesus Christ. Even if you haven't been invited to somebody else's place, why don't you start the scandal and invite somebody to your place? Maybe somebody that no one else likes. Maybe somebody that doesn't want to have anything to do with God or church or religion. Why don't you open your home? And rather than being fearful of the world, the world creeping in on us and infecting us, why don't you hug a leper? Why don't you take a chance and share this infectious good news that is Jesus Christ? Why don't you buy somebody a donut, a coffee? Why not connect with somebody this week and tell them the greatest news that's ever impacted your heart? I want to encourage you to just keep building relationship. Maybe this isn't the week you get to share, but at least start with the donut and coffee or maybe a lunch, maybe a dinner. Open your table as an expression of enacted grace. You guys are doing a great job at loving others. And before you go, I'd just like to bless you. Father, In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I just decree and declare your blessing on these people. Thank you for them, how they've been so open. They've opened their homes. They've opened their tables. They've opened their cubicles at work, their offices, their desks. They're just people of invitation, people who love to invite others and share what they have with one another. These people are ridiculously generous. And I thank you for that beautiful sense of community and hospitality here at SunWest. And over them, I decree life, blessing, increase, provision, hope, healing, 
I break off discouragement and frustration from your people. I declare that even today you're setting new lenses over their eyes, that they would see the world differently, that they would see things in a more encouraging light because your gospel, your enacted grace, the extension of your table is extended through them. I thank you that your pleasure is on this people. I thank you that you're continuing to give them everything that they need for life and godliness. And I declare over them today the love of the Father, the sweet blessing of the Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to be with them now and always. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. We'll let you go early because I know you're all hungry after all the food talk. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. Bless you all.